0: The next few days were uneventful. My mind often wandered to this man, Jesus. I heard through the grapevine that the religious leaders were mounting a campaign against him. didn't surprise me. People are so fickle. Power always seems to corrupt them. I didn't sleep well at all. The dream of the eagle bowing before the sheep seemed to return over and over. I'd never had a recurring dream like this before, and each time it came, I woke more and more unsettled. I'd lie in my bed for several hours wondering why I could not shake this dream. During the night on Thursday, I could take it no longer. So I got up and I went to stay with my men who were guarding Pilate's residence. I could lose the dream maybe in conversation with these men who I respected and who respected me. In the early morning hours, a delegation approached the residence. My men stopped them immediately and asked the nature of their business at this early hour. I was surprised to see Jesus with them, surrounded by their temple guards, They demanded an audience with Pilate, but refused to enter his home because their presence in a Gentile residence would prohibit them from fully celebrating the Passover. I couldn't believe their arrogance, demanding Pilate come out to them. Nevertheless, I entered the house. Pilate was already up eating his breakfast. I shared their request with him, and to my surprise, he consented to go out and meet with them. I think part of it was curiosity about Jesus, and part was a bit of paranoia. It's better address things like this now than to allow it to fester and become a bigger problem later in the day. As the centurion on site, I accompanied Pilate out to meet with them. Pilate spoke quickly, and you could tell he was not pleased to be here. What are the charges against this man? It was clear that the Jewish leaders were intimidated by Pilate. There was a moment of silence, and then someone said, If he wasn't a criminal, we wouldn't have brought him here. Pilate responded, Well, stop bothering me and take him and judge him by your Jewish laws. But sir, said Caiaphas, the high priest, as Jews, you have to know we're not allowed to execute anyone. Pilate sighed, turned to me, and said, give me five minutes, and then bring Jesus to me in my sitting room. And with that, he turned and went inside. I ordered two of my men to take Jesus from them, and we entered the sitting room of the palace to wait for Pilate. While we were waiting, I took some time to assess this man, Jesus. My years in the Roman army, as well as my officer's training, had given me the ability to read a man. I could tell when they were being manipulative, when they were utilizing flattery to get what they wanted. I could tell when they talked of bravery, but in their hearts were nothing but cowards. As I looked at Jesus, I found myself a bit confused. He seemed weak and powerless and yet totally at peace. There was no sign of fear in his eyes, even though it could have been only minutes from his death. His own people hated him. Rome didn't even really care that he existed, and yet he seemed totally at peace. I made eye contact with him to see if I could read anything there, and what I saw actually unnerved me. For the first time ever, I felt as if I was the one being read. His eyes penetrated, not with judgment or intimidation or even anger. It was some strange mixture of compassion and peace. I immediately resented it. Why would he look on me with compassion? He had nothing to offer me. Usually in this situation, men would be begging me for mercy. And yet at this moment, he had a meekness, the meekness of a lamb. My thoughts were interrupted as Pilate strode into the room. He cut right to the chase. Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others tell you about me? It was the first time I'd heard him speak. It was not what I expected him to say. He addressed Pilate as an equal And Pilate was not impressed. Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom's not a kingdom of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest from the Jews. But you need to see that my kingdom is from another place. Oh, you're a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, Yep. You're right in saying that I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth, and everyone on the side of truth listens to me. These were unusual words. I I didn't understand them, but I was drawn to them. There was something in his voice that was different from the hundreds of others I had watched being interrogated. Pilate stood quietly for a moment. Finally, he said something, something very appropriate. What is truth? then quickly turning to me, he said, bring him back outside. We entered the courtyard as Pilate was addressing the Jewish leaders. I find no reason to convict this man, I heard him say. The crowd was not happy. They reacted to the news by shouting, you can't do this. He's a menace to our society. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee. He's come all the way here. And at this, I saw Pilate's ear perk up. I knew exactly what he was thinking. Oh, Jesus is a Galilean. Then send him to my good friend Herod, who's in the city at this very moment. You're not happy with my decision. Herod may have something more to your liking." And with that, they were gone. Pilate returned into the residence, and I took time to eat some breakfast. As I sat at the table in my quarters, I reflected on what I knew of Jesus. Initially, I'd lumped him together with all the other Jewish wannabe rebels that I'd seen throughout my career, hungry for power, an ability to stir up the people, but all ending up dead at the hands of the Roman military. We thought of them as we would think of mosquitoes, a nuisance, but easily killed. But this morning's interactions with Jesus had given me something to think about. He was, he was really different than the others. I wasn't sure what it was about him, but it, in a strange sense, I felt that while Pilate was questioning him, that Jesus was somehow in control of the situation. I mean, he appeared meek and mild and easily dealt with, but there was a gravity about him, a depth of soul that I had never seen before. He had a power and a strength to him that was quite unique, and I wasn't quite sure what to make of it. I was roused from my thoughts by a messenger. The crowd was back at the gate with Jesus. It seems that Herod had invited Jesus in, hoping for some fun and maybe one of his miracles, but Jesus refused to even speak. He wouldn't even respond to Herod. Now that takes guts. Herod has killed men for way less than that. Apparently he soon got bored with Jesus and sent him back to Pilate. I'm on vacation in Jerusalem, he said. This is your territory. You deal with this. Well, Pilate didn't go out to meet the crowd, but summoned for me to bring Jesus to him inside. I always obey my orders, so I did just that. Once again, Pilate engaged him in conversation, and as they were talking, a messenger came from Pilate's wife. I overheard the servant girl say, Your wife says don't have anything to do with this innocent man. I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. I could tell that the message agitated Pilate. I knew nothing of his relationship with his wife or what input she had into his decisions, but I was sure that this message upset him. The fact that she had dreamed about him also gave birth to an unsettled feeling within me. What if Jesus had something to do with my dream? I couldn't imagine what it would be. I didn't have time to think about it. Pilate called for me to summon Barabbas. He was a hated Jewish criminal, so I sent the men to get him out of prison. Pilate wanted him brought to the balcony overlooking the courtyard. My men were efficient, and in no time at all, the group of us stood on the balcony as Pilate addressed the crowd. Your own tradition, he said, allows me to release one prisoner as a part of your Passover celebrations, and I will honor that tradition. Who will you choose, Jesus or Barabbas? The crowd was silent for a minute. I could tell Pilate had surprised them. No one wanted Barabbas. He was a menace to the whole city, a man without a conscience. Sure, they didn't like Jesus, but this decision was a no-brainer. I was really impressed at that moment with Pilate. His political skills at playing the crowd were amazing. But to my surprise, the first name I heard chanted was Barabbas. Barabbas. It was faint at first, but it quickly gained volume until the whole crowd was chanting together. And Pilate had no choice but to release Barabbas. He ordered me to loose his chains and let him go. I wondered what Pilate would do next, but I didn't have to wait long to find out. As Barabbas walked away, a free man, Pilate turned to me, take Jesus out of here, have him beaten and flogged. Don't kill him, but come close. Maybe that will satisfy the mob. And with that, Pilate was gone. I'm a loyal soldier. I follow orders. It's what I do, and it's who I am. So I gave the order to my men, exactly as I had heard it from Pilate. And my men were as devoted to Rome as I was. They had heard that Jesus claimed to be a king. That was enough for them to have no respect for him. Following my orders, they took him out into the courtyard and flogged him. It's a truly painful tactic that we use to break people. They have a special whip called a cat of nine tails. It's several strips of leather with bits of metal and rock embedded in them. They're joined together with a handle. The victim then is tied to a post, standing up with his back exposed and his hands attached to the post about two feet above his head. The flogger uses the whip to slap across the back of the victim. And as you can imagine, the rocks and the metal embed into the flesh. And then the flogger pulls back the whip for the next blow, ripping open huge gashes in the person's back. We usually do this 30 times, unless we feel the victim will die from the pain before that. We always try to stop just short of death. I know this sounds horrible, but Rome has need of things like this. Peace through strength means that at times we show that strength that strength to those who would disrupt the peace. It's not a pretty job, but it's necessary. I have to confess that this time was a bit different. Throughout the whole ordeal, Jesus didn't make a sound. He was completely silent. Usually people in his position scream, weep, and wail, begging for mercy. Jesus just closed his eyes and endured it. This man continued to challenge my expectations. My men didn't seem to notice or care, however, and as soon as the flogging was over, they placed a purple robe on his shredded back, then twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They mocked him over and over, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They struck him in the face. They bowed before him, insulting him, and Jesus just took it silently. I had never in my life seen anything like it. After an hour or so, you would have had trouble recognizing him. He was a bloody, beaten mess of a man, a mere shadow of the one I had studied in Pilate's sitting room just a few hours earlier. I gave the order to bring him back to Pilate, and my men jerked him past me, responding to my command. As they did, Jesus looked me in my eyes, and what I saw there froze me in my tracks. Once again, his eyes had no fear, only peace. It was as if he had expected all this to happen. Prisoners' eyes are always full of fear, and they wordlessly plead for release. Usually after a beating like this, they just cloud over as the mind forces the eyes to block out what's happening. His face was bruised swollen and bleeding, but his eyes looked just as they had when he first came into Pilate's home. At that moment, I knew that Jesus was unlike any prisoner I had ever known. I found myself hoping that his punishment was over, that after this, the bloodthirsty mob would be satisfied and Pilate would set him free. Now, this was a new experience for me. It was usually so easy for me to carry out these types of orders. The men I had done this to before were enemies of Rome, but this was different. I hoped it was almost over. I forced those thoughts to the back of my mind and let my Roman training kick in. I had a job to do for the glory and honor of Rome, and I would do it. When we arrived back to the palace, Pilate grimaced to see the condition of Jesus. Once more, we led Jesus out to the courtyard where Pilate said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. Here is the man. And when they saw Jesus... Wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And at that moment, I was overwhelmed with nausea. My knees felt weak. I knew this was unjust. I knew that it was wrong. I wanted nothing more to do with this man, Jesus. And I looked to Pilate, hoping that he would end this. He turned and faced me and gave the order. Give them what they want. As a soldier, you're trained to follow orders. The chain of command is the backbone that makes for a strong and efficient military. I knew that. I was often the one giving orders. At that moment, however, I wanted to do anything but follow Pilate's command. For the first time ever, I felt torn inside. Everything that I believed about the empire of Rome seemed hanging in the balance. How could one man? Bring me to this place. I swallowed hard, gathered myself, and turned to my men. Prepare Jesus for crucifixion, I said, and it was done.